0: So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Psalm 100. It's a short psalm that we're going to look at, Psalm 100. So I'm just going to read through it, and then we'll, we'll unpack it, so Psalm 100. So you see the heading there in, in uh, the Bible will say, A Psalm for giving thanks. his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Well, uh, many of you probably are familiar with this the psalm, but without knowing it, it's a famous hymn called the Old Hundredth. Uh, it's written by Keth, uh, written several centuries ago, and it's uh, the hymn that starts All people that on earth do dwell. So that's taken from this psalm, and it's a beautiful, beautiful hymn. So uh, if you've never read it, you still know something of it probably. Well, the title is A Psalm for Giving Thanks or A Thanksgiving Psalm. And in Hebrew, as in English, uh, Thanksgiving can mean giving of thanks. So to say thank you, but we can also use Thanksgiving as praise. It's a word that can refer to to worship or to to praise and both are included in this this psalm and the the psalm breaks down quite easily quite naturally there are seven commands seven imperatives that the psalmist gives us uh, tells us what to do and then in the last verse verse five there is a causal statement uh, which gives us the reason why we are to obey these seven commands so let's go through these commands verse 1 make A joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. So the command is that we are to make a joyful noise to the Lord. Some of your translations might say, shout triumphantly. And that's the idea. It's a triumphant shout, a shout of victory. I'm a Liverpool supporter. I haven't had the joy of uh, shouting triumphantly much recently. Those of you who are Man City supporters know what it is to shout triumphantly. Uh, it is the idea when you support your team or maybe your child does something that uh, is wonderful, you, you shout triumphantly. That's the idea. Uh, we are to shout triumphantly. It's the shout of victory. But notice that this is not limited to Israel. The command is to all the earth. So uh, many commands were given, obviously, to God's people, to his covenant community, Uh, In the New Testament as well, there are commands given to the church. Uh, But here the command is for the whole world, all the nations, every human being is to shout to the Lord. It is a command. I hear pastors often say uh, the gospel is an invitation. And I'm not persuaded of that. I I believe it's a command. God commands all men everywhere to repent. Repent. That's what uh, Paul says in in Acts chapter 17 when he is talking to the intelligentsia in Athens. He says, God commands all men everywhere to repent. It is a command. It's not an optional thing. It's not a lifestyle choice. The creator of the universe, the one who made us, commands us to repent and to shout for joy, to praise his his name. The second command is in verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. And serve in in English, fortunately, as the same in in Hebrew, has reference to uh, worship or to work. So we use the word service in that way. Maybe you, uh, you told some friends, I'm going to the worship service today, this morning. And so we understand what that means. We're coming to the service, we're going to be worshiping the Lord, but we also use it to refer to to work we say I'm taking my car for a service or the service at that restaurant was not very good or it was excellent and that's the idea Uh, we must not think that we're to serve the Lord with gladness on Sundays and then Monday you can be grumpy again Uh, the idea is all of life is worship Uh, all of life is service whether it's here gathered with God's people or out Uh, in the work environment, at college, at school, university, in your family, wherever you find yourself, we are called to serve the Lord with gladness. And to know that you live your whole life in the presence of God. We are to serve Him. That's how we're able to do these things. You might have a terrible boss. Uh, You might be in a difficult relationship, whatever it is, but you'll notice that the Scripture doesn't say, you know, just serve that person, obey that person, obey the government because they're amazing and good. It doesn't say that, it says, as unto the Lord. And so all of our work and worship is as unto the Lord. If you come here simply to impress others, to impress your family, as we heard in the testimony, to look good on the outside, well then you're not serving the Lord. The command is to serve the Lord. All of life is to serve the Lord. Bob Dylan, uh, he wrote a song Gotta serve somebody. It's one of my my favourite songs that he wrote. Gotta serve somebody. And he said this. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. But you're gonna have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're gonna have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord but you're going to have to serve somebody. And that's exactly what the Bible teaches. Uh, you, you might think, oh, I live for myself. Nobody can tell me what to do. I'm independent. Uh, well, the Bible says, no, you're a slave to the devil. You're not free. Uh, you're simply uh, enslaved to your lusts and your sinful desires, and you are serving the devil. Uh, you you're believing a lie that you are free and independent, Every human being has got to serve somebody, either the devil or the Lord. And it's not good to serve the devil. Okay. There is no rest or peace for the wicked. And at the end of the life of your life, giving your life to serve Satan, you will get your paycheck and the wages of sinners, death. But to serve the Lord is a joy. Always uh, in. Uh, uh, Encouraged when, when you read in Exodus, when the Lord delivered the nation of Israel out of Egypt, the very first thing that He did before they even got to Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 16, is to reintroduce the Sabbath, to say, "Yeah, have rest." Remember, they were slaves, weren't they? They never got rest. There were no leave days. That's the reality with sin. There is no rest, no rest for the wicked. Day and night you are enslaved to your passions and your lusts and they cannot ultimately satisfy. But the Lord Jesus says, come unto me, all you who labor, are heavy laden and I will give you rest. The Lord is the one that you want to serve. He is a good master. He is a loving father who will never lie to you, never deceive you, never abuse you, never take advantage of you who gives us rest. And so we are called to come and to serve this God, this true and living God who loves His people. The third command is to come into His presence with singing. So the command is that we must come. Uh, We must join together. What you're doing today is commanded in Scripture. Uh, We are together as God's people. We are to come together regularly and to worship Him. The writer of Hebrews says we shouldn't forsake the gathering of ourselves together and we are to come into his presence with singing. And so singing is good for us, isn't it? Uh, it is right for us to, to sing. God has made us to be people who sing praises. Just on, a, on a, just a, uh, a human level, on a physical level, singing is good for us. Did you know that? Juliet Russell, she was a, a person who trains people in singing she's trained um, some Grammy award-winning artists and she's on the the voice tv show she wrote a blog article she says number one singing is good it's good for your heart okay Uh, singing is an aerobic activity so beneficial for your heart and lungs it's just good for you Uh, and then number two when you sing your brain releases feel-good chemicals including endorphins uh, and this has been scientifically proven, okay? That when you sing, when we start to sing, you know when they say people are you know, singing in the shower or singing in the car, people do it and they become happy, don't they? Uh, it, it's just a, a, a real thing. God has wired us that way. Number three, it's relaxing. Number four, this is a bonus, it's a natural beauty treatment, okay? When you sing, you exercise your facial muscles, okay? And number five... You concerned about this? It's eco-friendly. Okay. <laughs> you don't have to require; doesn't require any fossil fuels or expensive upgrades. Uh, it's free. You can sing. Uh, now, the Lord knows that He made us that way, but obviously, it's much more than that. It is noteworthy in the Bible how often singing is linked to spiritual warfare. Think of the Book of Ephesians. We know Ephesians is about this our armor and fighting this fight, Paul writes and he says in chapter 5 verse 18, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. A Parallel passage in Colossians chapter 3 verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to to god we're commanded to sing let me encourage you Uh, i i know what it's like to feel down and there there are those times the last thing you feel like doing when you feel down is singing isn't that right but let me challenge you to discipline yourself to to sing if you have a voice like mine, get a CD player and, <laughs> and some songs to help you sing, okay? Uh, I'm looking forward to my glorified body when I have a good voice. But uh, in the meantime, God has given us technology. You can listen, you can play songs on your phone, and you can sing. So, so download some good hymns, some good songs. And, and I challenge you this week, you're feeling down. The last thing you feel like doing is singing, but go and do it. Get some good Christian songs and sing along with them, and I guarantee you'll start to feel better. God has made us that way. Start to sing, and it must be obviously full of good theology. It will start to minister to your heart and just the very act. It's an act of faith, isn't it? I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to sing praises to you even though I don't feel like it. And God will begin to work in in your heart, we are commanded to come into His presence and to sing. Verse 3, know that the Lord, He is God. And so knowledge is the basis of praise. Okay. Uh, you, can't, you can't praise someone if you know nothing about them. And so it is for God. We must, we must know God. We must know His attributes. We must know what He is like. Of course, He's revealed Himself in Scripture, so get to know Him through His Word and through uh, faithful teaching know that the lord he is god know that he is god he is sovereign he is in control of all things that he is omnipotent omniscient and all his amazing attributes and then and then there's a little bit of a diversion here he says it is he who made us and we are his we are his people and the sheep of his pasture so the psalmist, along with the whole of the Bible, teaches that God is our Creator. Okay, uh, you're not here by accident, random chance. You're not just a collocation of molecules and chemicals, just randomly moving around, giving you emotions and odd thoughts and all of those things. No, uh, you were designed by God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He is our Creator. But i think that the psalmist is going deeper than just that god is the creator of all things and the creator of people he's focusing in here on the fact that god is our redeemer the lord is our redeemer notice what he says we are his people and the sheep of his pasture he is the one who has saved us only god can do that regeneration the new birth is a sovereign act of god You cannot conceive yourself. A dead person cannot raise themselves from the dead, and a spiritually dead person cannot make themselves spiritually alive. It needs an alien force. It needs an outside force to do that, and God has done that in salvation. By His Spirit, He makes His people spiritually alive. He creates new life in us. He gives us a new nature so that we are able to repent and believe. Remember what Jesus said to to John, uh, to, sorry, to Nicodemus in John's gospel. Unless you're born again, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. Never mind, enter it. Okay. And God is the one who must give us new birth. And that's what He does for His people. It is He who made us. We are His. We are His sheep. The sheep of his pasture. He is the good shepherd who laid down his life for us. Okay? It's an incredible thing. Think of David. David, uh, when he meets Saul, says, You know, I, I I I was looking after my dad's sheep, and a lion would come and I killed it, and a bear would come and I killed it. And I always think that's really strange because I wouldn't risk my life for a sheep. Uh, <laughs> I'd be like, I love life. I'm going to leave these sheep right here with this lion. Uh, but David didn't do that. He risked his life uh, for those sheep. And it's a picture of Christ laying down his life for us. Uh, we are not you know, super valuable or so amazing. God needs us. Our value is because God has given us value. He laid down his life for us. We belong to him. We are the sheep of his pasture, so he will lead us. He is the one who feeds us. The psalmist tells us that. He leads us by still waters. He takes us to green pastures. If you belong to Christ, he will keep you to the end. He will feed you and ensure that you make it to the end. He will give you all the sustenance that you need to keep trusting him, to not turn away from him. He will look after you. Verse 4, next command, the fifth command, enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. And then the sixth and the seventh command, give thanks to Him, that's the sixth, and bless His name, that's the seventh. So we are commanded to come into His presence. Isn't that an incredible thing? We're not just invited or asked if we would like to, we are commanded to come into the presence of God to enter into his gates. And that command is still going out. Right now it is going out. God commands you to come into his presence. It's a a, a remarkable thing, to come into the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Maybe you saw the recent coronation in in the UK. Uh, There's no command to come into the presence of the king. It's very few people that are, are allowed to come in. They don't just open it up and say, the whole of the British Commonwealth, you're all commanded to come into the presence of the king. But the Lord does that. The gates are open. They're open right now. Today is the day of salvation. We're commanded to enter. But one day, those gates will be closed. One day, the gates will be closed. Either the end of your life or when the Lord returns, those gates will be closed. Revelation 21, verse 27 says, but nothing unclean will ever enter it. It's talking about the, the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem, that the gates will be closed. Nothing unclean will be able to enter it. Earlier on in the chapter, he says, he explains what the unclean are. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars... Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Today the gates are open, but they will be closed one day. Enter now. Come to him now. Take advantage of this incredible privilege to come into the presence of the Lord, to know the Lord. To come in with thankfulness. Give thanks to him. Alistair Begg says the password to entrance through these gates is thank you. Thank you. Uh, If you're not prepared to give thanks for what the Lord has done, primarily in sending His Son to to save, then you will never enter. But if you're willing to humble yourself, admit that you're a sinner, that you need a Savior, and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for having mercy upon me. Thank you for saving me. Of all the people on the planet, if 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 you know your own sin... It's a miracle. Salvation is, a, is a, the ultimate miracle. Lord, that you would save me. Thank you. And so we are to come into his presence. And so we are to obey all of these commands. But why are we to obey them? What is the motivation? Is it just willpower? Is it just, well, it's just your duty. you just got to do it. In the Bible, we're always given motivation. We're always given reason for why we are to, to do everything. So look at verse 5. four. So it starts off there, four. That's the reason. That's the reason you obey all these seven commands that have gone before. For the Lord is good, His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations. And so there are three reasons given why we are to obey these commands. So first of all, the Lord is good. If if I was to summarize them, you could say the Lord is good, loving, and faithful. And I'm sure if, if you were interviewed, if I were to say, to ask you, what is it that you would look for in a spouse or a friend, your best friend, I think you would say, I would want someone who is good, who is loving and faithful. Isn't that, that's really the ultimate uh, description of what we would want in, in someone, in our Our closest friend. We would want them to be good, to be loving, to be faithful. Unfortunately, because we're sinful, none of us are truly good, none of us are truly faithful, uh, none of us are truly loving. But there is one who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the first attribute here is good. I don't know if you, um, it's a fairly common greeting where people say, Are you good? So sometimes at, at Heritage, when someone will say, oh, you're good, I say there's none good, okay? <laughs> Just make them feel bad. Uh, <laughs> like they're really untheological. And <laughs> uh But that's the truth the Bible teaches, isn't that right? There is none good. There's no one absolutely perfect, morally good, perfect in thought, word, and deed. Externally and internally, except one, the Lord Jesus Christ. Perfect in every single way. And good obviously encompasses so many things. Compassionate, kind, perfectly good. If you don't know Him, come to Him. He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. This is my, one of my favorite attributes of the Lord, his steadfast love, his chesed. Uh, it's steadfast. He, he is loyal, okay? His steadfast love. Lots of soccer analogies, and I'm not sure why this morning, but uh, if you follow soccer, you, you'll know that uh, people change teams. They all support Arsenal, and then suddenly it's Chelsea, and then it's Man City. They're just fair-weather friends, you know? They're not loyal. They chop and change, but the Lord is not like that. He is loyal to His people. If you belong to Him, no matter what you do, He will not turn away from you. He is loyal. His steadfast love. Remember, uh, Moses asked the Lord, he says, Lord, I want to... I want to see you. Show yourself to me. Great, great cry of Moses. And the Lord says, look, hide in this rock. You can't see me directly, but I'll, I'll, you can see my goodness. And you remember the Lord, as Exodus 34 passes and then removes his hand and he, he gives this self-disclosure. He says, this is who I am. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. So when when God says, I want to tell you what I'm like, this is what he says. This is this is what I'm like. I am full of steadfast love and faithfulness. And as you go through the Old Testament, through the prophets, and through the psalms as we can see right here they always go back to this this place when jerusalem has been destroyed by the babylonians and jeremiah sees jerusalem lying in ruins and you can go and read that in lamentations it's heart-wrenching it is it's very 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 dark and often in hebrew poetry the high point is in the middle it's chiastic in structure the high, it's an x it's It's not like uh, in the West, at least, often our movies and stories climax at the end. Uh, Much of the poetry climaxes in the middle. And when you go and read Lamentations, in all this darkness, right in the middle, well-known passage, chapter three, verse 21, but this I call to mind, as he's looking at the ruin and the devastation and the dead bodies and the, the, the orphans, He says, but this I call to mind in the midst of that, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. See what he does. He goes back to God's self-disclosure. Okay, this is a mess. This is a nightmare. But what is true? When God came and revealed himself, he said he was like this, and I will hold on to that. But you see us, in the New Testament, we have something better. We don't need to go back to Exodus 34. We go back to to Calvary, to Christ. Christ is the the exact imprint of the Father. You want to know what God is like? Look to Christ. And so whatever you're going through, if you're going through a a, a dark period, it feels like lamentations, remember, remember Christ. Remember Calvary. Remember His love. How do you know God loves you? He, he spared not His own Son. Remember the gospel. Remember His steadfast love, that He will never stop loving you. And we have an idea, you know, C.S. Lewis in his problem of pain, he says most people say they want love, but they don't really want love. What they really want is just to do what they want. Uh, and what he means by that, he goes on to explain, to say... Uh, you would not say a parent who doesn't discipline their child is loving, isn't that right? A parent who says, I don't care how my child behaves, they can do whatever they like, they can be the biggest rotter the planet has ever known, but I love them. Okay? You'd say, well, you're not a very loving parent, you're not disciplining them, you're not training them, you don't, you don't actually love them. You see, God loves us, which means sometimes there's going to be pain. He loves us so much that He won't let us keep going down the wrong path. And so He will chasten us. He will refine us. So don't confuse pain in your life and suffering in your life as a sign, well, that means God doesn't love me. In fact, Hebrews 12 says it's the opposite. It's a sign that He does love you. That He is for you. That He is refining you and purifying you and chastening you. Because He loves you. His steadfast love. And then lastly... His faithfulness to all generations. And so he is faithful, which means he's worthy of your trust. God cannot lie. Trust him. Entrust your whole life to him. He is worthy of your trust. He's never dropped anyone. He's never lost a sheep. You can entrust your whole life to him. Amen. Let's let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful psalm. We thank you for uh, the commands that you've given us, Lord. Um, And they are to, to shout and to sing and to come into your presence and enter your gates and to give thanks to you. But you give us the reason why, Lord. We are to come to you because you are a faithful God. You are a loving God. You are a good God. father i pray that by your spirit you would remind all of us of that that in in christ we would see the goodness of god the steadfast love of god and the faithfulness of god lord if there are any here who who don't know you they don't know your goodness they don't know your love or your faithfulness that today would be that day that you would grant them repentance and faith and for your children, Lord, it's easy to be discouraged in this world. Uh, we also sin against you, and the devil condemns us, and uh, we, we forget your goodness. Help us to, to again be reminded of your goodness, your faithfulness, and your steadfast love. Help us to sing, even when we don't feel like it, to sing your praises. In Jesus' name, amen.